We're going to continue in our sermon series, Staying the Course. Staying the Course. I would venture to say that since we've started this sermon series that there have been some obstacles in our ways. Because as soon as the enemy figures out that you know something, he's going to say, well, let me see what you really know. Let me try and figure out how your weaknesses are really going to stand up. Because I know you've got them. I already know what they are. So we have to learn how to stay the course. But today we're going to be talking about staying the course through humility. Humility. So how do I stay the course through humility? Now oftentimes, and and I'll even say even in in studying this particular uh, passage of scripture or this particular topic, Humility took on a whole different meaning to, for me. Because I used to think humility meant, you know, it was like, oh, okay, I, 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 I don't want to be in anybody's way. I don't want to interfere with anything. But that's not really what humility is. We have to understand that we are at war. How many of you know that we're at war? How many of you know that we are at war? And I'm not talking about with Syria. I'm not talking about with ISIS. I'm talking about every single day that you open your eyes, you are at war, whether you like it or not. Whether you are saved or unsaved, you are at war. The devil is out to destroy you, and God wants to bless you. Choose this day who you will serve. There are so many weapons out there. There is endless amounts of ammunition. There are devices and landmines on every corner. Everywhere you walk, we are moving targets. There's all types of guerrilla warfare going on. How many of you all know what guerrilla warfare is? Anybody? All right, it ain't, it ain't monkeys in a cage. All right, guerrilla warfare, basically coming out, ambushing somebody, and then going back and hiding. Basically ambushing somebody and then going back into hiding. And our enemy is a warmonger, someone who advocates war. All he wants to do is fight. And if he can't fight, he'll get you to fight somebody else. And for centuries, people's heart, God's very own creation, our hearts have been hardened. And we become stiff-necked people that we don't want to abide by God's word. We don't want to do what God desires for us. But when God finally had enough, our commander said, I'm going to send my only begotten son. Because you won't listen to me. You won't listen to my people, my leaders, Moses, Elijah. So I'm going to send my only begotten son. And he will give you clear and concise instructions on how to live your daily life and how to stay the course. How to stay the course. Jesus didn't come riding in on a stallion or chariots of fire. It was his humility that was hidden in his strength, and therefore he was not taken seriously. They were looking for a Messiah, someone who was going to come, dressed in fine raiment, someone who stood tall and towered over the people and spoke with a deep voice. You know the tall, dark, and black, dark man that y'all women want? And Jesus didn't come like that. He did not come in those manners at all. He was initially rejected by all simply because of the way he carried himself. 
But in time, he was received because of the words that he spoke that changed people's lives. Let's look look at John chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been teaching to you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not. Jesus says, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing whose work? His work. Jesus is saying, the words that I speak, they're not my own. I don't speak out of my own authority. Even though they are one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, these aren't my words. I'm following my Father's instructions. And the work that I do is not my work, it's His work. And you can write this down for those of you who are taking notes. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 22. Chapter, Mark chapter 1, verse 22. They says that Jesus spoke with authority and people followed him because he spoke with such of authority and not like other religious leaders. So then we're talking about staying the course through humil- humility. So what is humility? Before we go to that slide, go back, go back, go back. Go back, go back, okay. What does somebody think humility means to them? Oh, you got your hand up. Yeah, you. (laughs) Huh? I didn't hear you. To be humble. Humility means to be humble. All right, I'll take that. Someone else? Come on, y'all. Y'all holding up the message. Anyone? Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for all your input. Okay, huh? To be low. All right. To be grounded. All right, I like that. Say what? Ooh. All right, let's have the definition. A modest or low view of one's own importance. A modest or low view of one's own importance. Not that you think that you are insignificant, but that you know your role. A modest or low view of one's own importance. It is human nature that when you do something, you want, you want someone to recognize your actions. Isn't that right? You want somebody to eventually call, up, call you up and say, hey, we want to thank so-and-so for all they did and all that. That's human nature. But when we go to work and we're constantly fighting with our supervisors, wait a minute, you got hired as a helper. You didn't get hired as a supervisor. We have to humble ourselves even in the workplace. Oh, I hear the crickets. (laughs) If you want to be a supervisor, continue working, doing what you're supposed to do, take the courses, go to college, do what you have to do, and then now someone can be in submission to you. But we have to humble ourselves. And that's why that was the importance of Jesus. Jesus knew his role. He says, the things that I say, I don't speak of my own authority. Y'all know that y'all know when Jesus came into the temple and they were doing the money exchange 
and he came in, he turned over the tables. It's like, well, he wasn't being humble then. Yes, he was. He was doing what his father told him to do. He said, this is a house of prayer and you have made it a, a den of thieves. Just because he was turning over tables doesn't mean he was humble. He knew the role that he had. Let me have the next slide, please. True humility is not about keeping your mouth shut, cowing down to others, or retreating against adversity. It's acknowledging your role within a given period or place. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror and look at yourself according to the word. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror and look at yourself according to God's word. It's acknowledging your role within a given period or place. If you're not in charge, hey, I'm not in charge. Good. The responsibility is not on me. I just have to know my role. And that's what humility, humility is. And that when we know where our place is, that will help us to stay the course. Because if you're trying to be the boss or you're trying to be the person who says, oh, I don't want nothing to do. Either way, you're out of place. Amen. When we are not in place, that's not being because if you're not in the place you're supposed to be, then you're prideful. I don't want to do that. Why not? Yeah, I, I told you all I don't do that. OK, well, then you can't be with us. We have to understand our roles. Outside of Jesus, one of the best examples of true humility happens in the Gospels. It was one of the two thieves who was about to die the same death that Jesus died. And I want to share with you the harmony of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, in all of these scriptures I'm reading, I'm using the New International Version, the NIV. Now, one of the thieves had began to mock Jesus. Now, if you can imagine, and, and I know it's a, it's, a, it's a sensitive and touchy subject, but if you can imagine the state is about to execute People who are on death row and they just lined them all up and they were just going to execute them one at a time. Could you imagine one person that was about to die cursing out another person for what he did? I mean, seriously, does that really make sense? And I know they don't do that. But here it is. One man who's been a thief all his life or at least a good part of his life is cursing Jesus. For what he did and Jesus did nothing wrong. And he says, if you're the son of God, save yourself and us. But then one of the other thieves, oh, excuse me. Let me, let me backtrack. Seven, seven, 27 and 42. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself as the crowds chanted. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Next. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who, crucif who were crucified with him also heap insults on him. What's the audacity? You're about to be crucified just like Jesus. I mean, and you're going to get mad. I mean, why would you, what in your right mind would cause you 
to get upset with Jesus because of stuff that you did. It makes no sense. But in the harmony of the gospel, we'll look at Luke chapter 23, verse 41. One of the thieves says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. What our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. I'm getting what I deserved. I'm getting what I deserve. Next verse. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. I think about the heart of this. And, and if y'all will just use your spiritual imagination for a moment. This man is about to die on the cross. He's been a thief all of his life. Everything that he wanted, he stole it, he lied, he cheated. And here he is about to die, not really knowing where he's going, but probably believing that he will end up in an eternal damnation. So he's out of options because before he could tell a lie and get out of it. If he owed somebody money, he would steal from another person to get what it is he needed or whatever it is he desired. But as he's, he's running out of options and he's about to run out of time. So just like the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man said, if someone would just dip their finger and touch my tongue, that it may be cool. This man didn't say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. All he asked humbly was, Jesus, remember me. That's all he's asking. Like, Jesus, I don't know where I'm going. I, I believe that you're going to a better place than me. And Lord, if there's any time that I can get a break, if there's anything you can do to soften this blow, because where I'm going is not the same place you're going. But God, I'm just asking you right now, Jesus, just remember me. Just remember me. And Jesus discerned his heart and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he knew his role. That man, that thief knew his role at that particular place. And he was in no place to curse Jesus for what he had done. I can almost certainly believe, and I'm sure you all will agree, that on September the 11th, 2001, that heaven was bombarded with petitions like never before in history. In 1912, the Titanic sank. Some 1,500 people died on a ship, but guess what? There was no internet. There were no cell phones. Who knew that they were in such peril? Somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000, depends on who you read, people aboard this one ship between the crew and the passengers, and some 1,500 people died. There were not even enough life rafts that even everybody who was able to get off the ship could get on those life rafts. But how many prayers do you think were going up for those people? A few, quite a few. 
1937, those of you who remember, or not saying you remember, but you know about the Hindenburg. 97 people aboard with the crew and the passengers. 36 people died. But how many people were really praying about that when it was going on? But on September the 11th, 2001, I promise you that there were people all around the world. From 846 on the North Tower, from 846 until 1028 from when the plane hit to the, to the tower collapsed. On the South Tower, from 903 until 959 when the second tower was hit and struck. A total of, I think it was like 128 minutes combined times of people praying. And heaven is just like getting all of these calls. Pray for who? Pray for who? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who do you want lifted up? But they're not just praying for the people who are in the tower. They're praying for those first responders who are about to put their lives on the line. Some people, many people died instantly. And some people knew they were going to die. Maybe they got out. We don't know. But who went to work that morning? In fact, I was reading in the Titanic, there were 20 people who did not get on the Titanic because they had dreams. 20 people had dreams that said that ship was going to sink. 20 people that God gave them a vision and said, do not get on that boat. But for those people who died, sadly, who died in the Twin Towers, which one of us? is willing to wait until the last minute and live the life that the prodigal son lived. Taking all that we have, living a righteous life. The Bible even says that he went so far as to join himself with another country. But then somehow I think we're going to come back and lay on our deathbed and repent before God. Because guess what? We fail to realize our role. We we fail to humble ourselves before God, thinking, oh, I got time. Oh, I got time. And there were people in the Twin Towers who did not have time. On the Titanic, the Hindenburg, and all throughout history, people who thought they had time. But because they, didn't, they thought they had time, did not humble themselves, they could not stay the course. I hope I'm helping somebody on today. I pray, excuse me, that God is helping someone on today. So my first point is this. So where do I stand? I've got to stay the course through humility. So, so where does that put me? Where does that put me? Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. This is after the fall of man. And the Lord God said, man has now become like one of us. Man has now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil. How many of you know good? Come on. How many of you know good? I don't see no hands go. <laughs> also, okay. So how many of you all know evil? We know good and evil. When God created us, he created us in his image to know good and evil. And that potential lie dormant in us. Until the sin in the garden. And now that potential has been fulfilled. 
That potential to know good and evil has been fulfilled. We know it and we practice it. Come on, y'all. We know it and we practice it. Some of us practiced it this morning. Somebody cut you off or maybe you did a good deed. I don't know. We're not going there right now. So where do you stand? It says right here in Scripture that man has now become like one of us. We know. We know. We didn't evolve from apes. I don't care how you act. I don't care whose side of the family's tree you came off of. We did not come from apes. We are able to reason. We don't work off of instinct. We don't say, oh, it's wintertime. Let's go collect some nuts. Let's build a nest. Let's put food away so we'll, we can hibernate for the whole winter. No. We know the seasons change, but we are able to reason and to understand. So that potential within us has been fulfilled. So that's where you stand. And God knows that you know that his word would not return unto him void. So his word has gone out. We know the good and the evil. We have to conduct ourselves accordingly. So that's where you stand accountable. That's where we stand. Number two. I know I prayed that, but that's not really what I meant. I, I know I prayed that, but that's, that's really not what I meant. In Exodus chapter 33, you can go back if you have a chance, read verses Seven, chapter 33 verses 7 through 14 and, it, and I can just imagine that Moses is at a place where he's received the Ten Commandments but the glory of God is with him so much that anytime he goes into the tent the glory cloud comes about and it hovers over the tent and anytime he comes out all the people bow down and worship him worship God, excuse me, not worship him but they honor and they worship God Can you imagine walking into the mall and and you're sitting there and you just, you know, you just got something from from Orange Julius. Is it? Are they still around? (laughs) But then you decide you're done with your meal and or whatever it is you're snacking on and you throw it in the basket. And as soon as you stand up, everybody in the mall bows down. Because of the power of God that's in you. And that's what Moses, that's the position he was in right now. But the Bible says, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you ask. Man. Now, we just read where it says that that man is like us. They know good and evil. But Moses is in such a place. He has such favor with God. He says, I will do the very thing you ask because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. How many of you God knows you by name? I better see every hand go up. (laughs) God knows you by name. Next verse. So Moses says, (laughs) show me your glory. (laughs) And the Lord said, "Uh, excuse me. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. I and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Now, what is his goodness? He says, I will have mercy on those who I show mercy and I will have compassion 
on those whom I will have compassion. That's goodness. Because his mercy, what? Endures forever. But he said, you cannot see my face. No one, for no one may see me and live. What did Moses pray for? He said, show me your glory. You don't want to see God's glory. (laughs) Because the moment in the Bible, this is Old Testament, but I promise you it's still true. The moment we see his face, the moment we see his pure glory, we'll die. Just like we cannot breathe, human beings, we cannot breathe 100% oxygen. We can only consume, I think it's between 19 and 23% of oxygen. Anything more than 23%, it will kill you. Really? Yes. So if that's just the air we breathe, do you think that we can withstand the true glory of God? We can't. So I know I prayed that prayer, but, you know, that's really not what I meant. So the reason why I say that, let's go to 2B. Here are some things that we pray for, but we really shouldn't pray for. How many of you pray for patience? We pray for patience. But what does the Bible say? It says the trying of your faith works patience. And if you say, well, well, you know, I'm kind of like in a hurry, Lord. I need some patience right now. Okay, God's going to show you some patience. You're on your way to work, and guess what? Traffic light ain't working, and you're waiting for everybody else to let you through the intersection. You get in the drive-thru at Burger King, and, and half the people done called out of work. You get to Walmart, and only one cashier, and the swipe through, uh, you know, self-checkout ain't working. Don't ask God for patience. <laughs> Do not ask, pray for patience. Wealth. Why don't we pray for wealth? Come on, y'all, this open season. For one thing, the Bible says that God gives you the ability to get wealth. He gave you the ability to get wealth. And if you're just saying, Lord, I want wealth, so you want God to just drop it on you. Well, the Bible also says that if a man doesn't work, he don't eat. But what, what is it about wealth? I, oh, I just want wealth. I just want wealth. Oh, so you can be like OBJ and wear a $350,000 watch in a, game, in a football game? I mean, you want bling bling so that you can show everybody what you have and not humili- I mean, humble yourself so that you can stay the course? Why do you want wealth? Why do you want wealth? That's like the person who says, oh, I, want, I don't want responsibility. I want authority. Ooh, no, you just want authority. You just want to be able to boss me around. If a person just wants wealth and they don't want to work for it, be cautious. Something I pray for, I pray God rebuke the devil. No, 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 no. Behold, I give you power over scorpions and snakes. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you that authority. Don't pray to me and do it yourself. Tie your shoe, Johnny. (laughs) I taught you how to. I'm not tying your shoe. I already taught you how to tie your shoe. And God has already taught us how to rebuke the enemy. Plead the blood. 
Don't pray for someone else's demise. And if you don't know what to pray, don't pray at all. Lord, next time they pick up a cigarette, I hope they choke. <laughs> if they drink another beer, I pray they, pray they pass out. And guess what? They're driving next to you drinking. <laughs> I mean, come on, y'all. They might decide they want to drink while they're driving. They pass out and crash into you. Now, you laid up in the hospital. Well, guess what? It was your prayer. Not saying God will honor it, but, but, you know, even if two people are together and you're like, oh, they don't belong together. It's like, Lord, your will be done. And I know that's just like a, a blanket statement. I hope, I hope, I hope she get six tuplets and can't feed them. And he have an accident on his job. I mean, we pray, people don't say, but people pray crazy prayers. And I mean, trust me, we can pray for, we can talk about a whole lot of things. And we don't pray for faith. We don't pray for faith. Why don't we pray for faith? How do you get faith? Huh? So what is it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right, all right. Get that man a mint. Hey, it's old and stale. Don't eat it. <laughs> but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But these are the ways that we have to humble ourselves. When I truly know my role, my role is not to pray for these things. My role is to read the word of God and see what God's word says about these situations. And I'm not in authority to judge you and say what you should be doing. If, if I see, if I have a question about anything then I really need to talk to somebody. And I'm not, oh, you can talk to me because I know we need to lift them up in prayer. No, you just want to talk about them. It's like, you know something? I have a situation. You know, I got this friend, you know, that friend. And talk about it. And then pray. And if you don't know how to pray, pray in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows your weaknesses. Eight, Romans 8 and 26. Likewise, the Spirit knows our infirmities. Because we don't know what to pray, but he prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So let's, let's be careful about what we pray and what we say. Let me have the next slide. Some things you really don't want God to do. Because if you're going to pray some of those things like someone else's demise... What's to say somebody ain't praying the same thing for you? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, whatever a, man, whatever a woman soweth, whatever a child soweth, that shall they reap. So if somebody is praying against you, excuse me, if you're praying against somebody else, guess what? Somebody's going to be praying against you. Some things you really don't want God to do. And then my last point is this. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. What do you mean? You mean like Taylor's? The hardware store? Do it yourself? You mean like Home Depot? You can do it. We can help. No. Do it yourself. Familiar scripture in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Humble who? Lord, I, I pray. <laughs> And you know, in, in the old church, they say, humble. 
They don't say humble. They say humble. Because I don't know why the H is sacred and they can't say humble, but Lord, humble me. Humble me, Lord. Like, no, God says do it yourself. Because the same with Moses, he said, I want to see your glory. And God's like, you can't see my glory and live. I tell you what, you don't want God to humble you either. No, please don't humble me. Because <laughs> I know even now as, as I'm getting older, I have to be very careful about how I stoop down and bend over and get down on my knees because it's harder to get up. I mean, hey, it's, y'all keep it quiet back there. So I don't need God putting his hand on me, humbling me, because if God puts me down and I'm not and that's not the God we serve. But if God puts his weight on me to humble me, I ain't getting back up. I'm not getting back up. Not anytime soon. I don't care how much I cry, uncle. But he's saying, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Know your place. Know your place, because what is what is the because uh, I've got that slide right up back up there. The next slide, I believe it or not the next slide. But when we talk about humility is. Of one's own one's own importance. So I've got to know where my place is in God. God, I got this. You taught me good. I got this. And God's like, no, this is. This is when you do need to come to me. I'm not tying your shoe, but this is when you do need to come to me. The reason why you failed is because you keep trying to do it yourself. And again, the opposite of humility is what? It's pride. And that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Lucifer got kicked out because he thought he could be like the most high. And even now, he is nowhere near the opposite of God. Because he was a fallen angel, not a fallen God. He was a fallen angel. So he's saying, you've got to know your role. And Lucifer didn't know his role. You're just a choir leader. I mean, seriously. Not saying it wasn't an important role, but you're, you're just over the choir. You're over the music ministry. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and I'm almost done. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more or exceedingly, exceeding abundantly more than we could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work in us. According to the power that is at work in us. And this is the NIV version. And I read this. How many of you have read this scripture at least? Ten times. Twenty times. Y'all are being so quiet. Y'all mean y'all like up in arms. Uh, Pastor Wendy, you need to preach because they, they get into you. <laughs> but we've read this scripture. We've heard it quoted so many times. Exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. It's like, God, do it, do it. Exceeding abundantly, exceedingly abundantly. Oh, I'm getting this coming. Exceeding abundantly. But guess what? It's according to what? The power that is at work within us. Okay. You got the power. So do it yourself. 
excuse me, phone's ringing. Hello, uh, is this 801 Volvo Parkway, Chesapeake? Yeah, yeah, it is. Is this Subway? Yeah, yeah, it's Subway. I take it y'all are open. Yeah, okay. Hey, I'm looking for Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy? Yeah, Jimmy John. This is Subway, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking for Jimmy John. Is he there today? No. But he does work there, right? Yeah, John works here at Subway. Okay. But he's not there. No, uh uh-uh. All right, so you hang up the phone. Oh, I'm going to call him back later. So Jimmy John's ain't working today, but he does work there, right? We verified that. Whoever answered the phone verified Jimmy John's works at Subway. So you forget to call back. So the next day, you're like, well, I got Jimmy John's home number. So you, why are y'all laughing? <laughs> so you call Jimmy John's house. And it's like, hello? Yeah, who this? It's, don't worry about who it is. I'm looking for Jimmy. Jimmy who? Jimmy John. Oh, yeah, Jimmy John. Yeah, is Jimmy John there? No. Where's Jimmy John? He's a subway. Oh, okay. So where is he now? He's at Subway. So where is he? He's where? At work. He's at work. Now, there is a difference between saying you work somewhere because guess what? Nobody here right now is at work. You have a job, right? But you're not at work. The Bible says that according to the power that is what? At work. The Holy Spirit is not working. He is at work. The power is at work. Right now, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. It's Sunday, but he's at work. Tonight, when y'all watching football, I know I'm watching. Through the middle of the week, no matter what you're doing, the Holy Spirit will be at work. No matter, you can call Subway and ask for Jimmy John, but guess what? The Holy Spirit is at work. So you got to do it yourself, because guess what? The power is at work in you. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. Acknowledge him, but you got to do it yourself. Y'all understand that? Leave Jimmy John's alone. (laughs) But y'all understand, we've got to let the Holy Spirit, because it's in us. There's certain things that God wants us to do on ourselves. We've got to humble ourselves. Jeremiah, he said, Search for me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And, and, and people use the analogy. They said, you know, I finally found Jesus. Well, I didn't know Jesus was lost. <laughs> I mean, but we know we know what they mean. I finally found Jesus, but Jesus won't lost. But he's been and he wasn't really looking for you because he knew where you were. But we understand. That some things God is not going to do for you. So let's, let's do a quick recap. So understand where it is we stand. Know what we're praying for. And when it comes down to it, you're going to have to do it yourself. We, we all have those people we've met in our lives. And I'm not just talking about strangers on the street. But those people in our lives that keep coming to us and asking us for help. 
And I'm not saying that you should do it. But for most of us, we get to that point where we're saying, I'm not doing it anymore. You got to do for yourself. But we can't do anything until we humble ourselves. Let's put that definition up there one more time, please. And I, then I'm done. We've got to know our view, our importance in any particular situation. You may be the boss at work, but then you're not the boss in a community, you know, setting. Everyone's not going to listen to you just because you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You've got to know your role. 